Mia. What's up, Filipino MomCast listeners? I just have to say, I am so happy you're here. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to the show. I'm Lynn Tagonki, one of your co-hosts here on the Filipino MomCast. If you're joining us for the first time, the Filipino MomCast is our small place in the podcast world that bravely opens up conversations around Filipino culture and generational narratives. Your hosts of the show, Marianne, Rowan, and myself, are three moms living here in America in three different states with completely different upbringings and experiences and we've come together to share unapologetically our experiences of how we are deconstructing and navigating this challenging journey called life. So from parenting to everything in and around what you talk about with a group of close friends, we talk about here on the show to help other Filipinos and Filipino moms just like us. In this third episode of season two, we continue the conversation of this two-part episode around the topic of co-regulation. So real quick, what is co-regulation? It's the ability to be attuned and see cues in others, especially children, and help them regulate their emotions through our own regulated emotions for better or worse. Also, since this is a two-part episode, if you haven't listened to part one yet, be sure to hit pause on this episode and hop on over to the first one because there are certainly some nuggets there you'll want before coming into this episode. So as always, we want to thank you so much for being a loyal listener and supporter of the show. If you feel led to, it would mean the world to us for you to do one or all three of these activities to show your support. Number one, it would be super awesome if you could share the podcast with another Filipino mom or honestly anyone. Number two, post about the podcast through social media and or number three leave us an honest five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on the validation reminds the three of us that the work we're doing through the show really matters but more important than that it allows us the opportunity to reach one more soul that doesn't need to feel alone in the journey simply by sharing by the way if you need to get a hold of us you'll find our contact info in the podcast description and you can also contact us through voicemail and also if you haven't already make sure to subscribe to the podcast and keep your notifications on for upcoming episodes. You are the best listeners ever. We know you share the load with us. So please know we acknowledge the work you're doing to flip the script for the benefit of you, your family, our community. And we are incredibly blessed to do this alongside of you. Join me now as we jump into the third episode of season two. me and Marianne, we have this, we have this phrase um, that we would pull out every once in a while for the kids. Cause we would be like, fix your face, fix your face, <laughs> yeah, fix yeah, your yeah. face, fix your, your face. face is not something I use as often. <laughs> I actually have not said fix your face in a long time. Yeah. Same in a long time. And I think it's really interesting now though, just like how we created and, you know, we would coin like our own terminology, not that, not just you and I, but in our own experiences of surviving parenting, if you will, it's not that we're trying to do wrong in bringing up our kids to behave in a certain way, because like none of us just know we're just doing what we need to do to survive parenting to make sure that this is what feels safe for us, right? Mm. Kind of like bringing back into that, I need you to fix your face. Because when you're like that, that is my co-regulation that you're going into a place I don't want you to. 
So mm-hmm. my way of like controlling that is fix your face, right? <laughs> because then it stops it. It stops the anxiety from happening. Yeah. And now we're back to the whole like, oh, happy, like things are happy, bad. Happy, you know? everything's but, great. I mean, but oh. maybe that could, that would be like, maybe Rowan, like in psychology terms, that would be like a maladaptive type approach mm-hmm. versus um, something that's more, positive and life-giving yeah and 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 to add grace to you know like fix your face there's actually it reminds me of like very similar in fix your face please yeah (laughs) kindly fix your face but even in 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 tagalog i could hear filipino moms of course not all say like it's like what they would say yes and and that's why i like having a visual because when you see yourself like it's a scaling high right thermometer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what would it look like and what would you say if you're able to actually regulate your internal thermometer would you say would you continue to say fix your face I I think that if you could see there's a visual of your internal thermometer like if you actually have a thermometer you could see how it correlates to the anxiety that the child yeah. is, you know, it's like that, that energy that you're feeding off each other. And I think it goes both ways, especially as a child gets older. As when it's an infant, the infant really relies on the parent. And honestly, with me, once the child is older and you have been attuned for the most part, I think it's okay for parents to also give cues to children when they're getting overwhelmed. Not to burden children, but to kind of like cue them. I- I'd say something like, honey, I'm sorry, mommy's a little overwhelmed right now. I just need your help for a minute here. And it's not out of haste that I'm doing it's because... I'm giving cues also to the child. And it's fantastic when you're attuned with the child because the child will be attuned. Okay, mommy, I'll do my best. Not not out of guilt that she'll do it, but she could do it because you have been doing that for many years back. But obviously, that's not always the starting point for parents. And that's okay. You can always work from wherever your starting point is. Oh, yeah. I like that I, a lot yeah. because I feel bad. Because now when you say fix your face, Lynn, I'm like, God, we used to say that so much me <laughs> then my mom used to say that too in tagalog she yeah. used to say that too yeah. and that's why i'm like what did i do when she would say that i probably felt the way that my kids felt and going back like i just completely flash back to a moment where i told one of the kids that and the reason why i said that is because i just didn't want people to think that my child was being awful it had nothing to do with them it had everything to do with me and that makes me feel terrible you know now yeah. thinking about that i'm like oh like i should have just let them have that face because then i could just say they're just having a bad day and and that would have been fine you know so yeah and that's like the mom guilt and the mom shame that I feel but then at the same time like what you said Rowan like we're able to no matter where you are you can still begin from there like it's it's not mm-hmm. broken and you can no longer fix it like there's always I mean obviously it'll take time right but it's not necessarily unattainable, I guess. Yeah. I mean, even when I do family therapy, it's interesting because I would teach them to co-regulate. So imagine when people are in family therapy, some of them are already all their Some are already adults, the children. Uh, so I'm teaching them to co-regulate, right? But I would even put my hand on my forehead 
and I'll teach them what co-regulation is. So if we're doing Zoom, I'll teach them, this is how we co-regulate. I'll tell them that this means I don't even care about what you have to say, but it pains me that you are feeling this way. And so I basically, I don't have to agree with you. So it's fascinating because even people are may seem bickering, they'll use it because I'll remind them, do you not agree, but you're feeling for your mom? And then they'll kind of like co-regulate. So you could start really from a distance, especially if you're starting with a teenager. So they haven't been used to it. So I think more space and then you kind of like get closer. Obviously, you start younger. I think it's easier because obviously there's less things to work through, but it's never too late because even adults can learn how to co-regulate with their spouses. When you are talking about these cues, because it really sounds like, I know that in last season, we talked about body language and how there are nonverbal cues that have also been very confusing for us because we learn nonverbal cues culturally. And then we translate it through assimilated culture, which is very messy. And so learning how to, besides words, use nonverbal communication styles to be able to meet in the middle with like your kids and with your spouse and just like, I guess, whoever you're communicating with. Yeah, I think the key is, I mean, we hear this often, we've been mentioned this a few times today, like slowing down. So according to Mary Ainsworth, she's a researcher for attachment, a tune mother is an excellent informant. So meaning when she's interviewing moms, moms who actually, and they could be working moms or it doesn't really matter. There's no relevance to that, but they can tell stories of their children with details. Like, oh, I know when she grabs that, you see her face. So it's like you're watching, you're observing movements on the face, they're breathing. You're attuned to those, like you're saying, Lynn, facial expression, movements. Yeah, attunement is like a, energy for me it's like using all your senses so if you watch or see a picture of a mom and a child laughing it's the synchronicity of their laughter right he laughs the look it's like if i would tally that as a researcher the time lapse is very little it's their synchronicity to it it's not like it's happening at the same time and there's actually what they also call mutual delight, which is one of my favorite words. If you are watching TV, for instance. So before, when we were younger, you guys probably remember our parents used to have the TV on all the time, right? So now we have the TV on, but maybe the mom is actually scrolling on her phone. And so the child is laughing, but the mom is laughing at something else. What I realized, not that TV's good, but in the older times when we were younger, when we watch, there's less distractions. And so when we're watching TV, there's more mutual delight. And what I mean by that is when something laughable happens, the synchronicity of the laughter is almost like the lapse in the time because you're seeing the same thing at the same time. So I think when you're talking about being attuned that's part of being attuned or synchronicity. And it's really sensing your child beyond words. I guess to make it more practical when you have older children, it's like pretend that you're a researcher and just kind of like watch them. 
what they do, their movements, like before they actually get angry or like throw some profanity, like what happens before is to actually work to be more of an informant that kind of like what they say, like, you don't have to be an excellent informant like Mary Ainsworth found of Attune Moms, but just a better informant of your children. I think that's really good. I can see how, like, what do they call it? Neuroception, right? So just all of those nonverbal cues. I was thinking back to yesterday and, you know, hanging out with the kids. And I said something to one of my kids and her face changed. And I was like, oh, that's not good. So I went back to it like later on and I kind of said it in a more compassionate way. I don't know. But I changed it. I changed it to where it just seemed like I cared more or I don't know. But it seemed to be more well received. And I could see in her face that what I said then was better than what I said. I don't know. But I understand what you're saying. Because that's it's just so hard. Because if, if we're only focusing on our own emotions, we miss the cues and if we miss the cues then now we're just assuming and now we're in a fight and now you know everybody needs a timeout and everybody yeah, and, needs and a break. i think curiosity you know? would be our friend so because it's not easy so for example yeah. with your daughter she made the face so someone if we're not aware of our own stuff it's like that's the face that i don't like but when you're curious you yes. can point out you can and obviously tone and inflection in our voice There's credence there. Oh, I saw that face. What does that mean? You know, it's like you can be curious so that you can learn more. And so the burden is not so much on us. I know I said be a researcher, but you can be curious. You can actually ask questions and then you can get more information from them. But obviously, especially with teenagers, that you we want to be just aware of our tone because they can get also... <laughs> tone. Yeah. Tone is a whole... I think tone needs to be a whole episode <laughs> because... Tone. Marianne and I have talked about that, that tone matters. And... But kind of like to back that up because I know that when... One of my kids has a face, you know, before I used to call it out, like fix your face. And so now I feel for me, the curiosity approach really does serve me in a way where I can be curious without being attached to the outcome. So when one of my sons, I could see it in his face that he maybe has reacted to something I said, or that's his response to whatever is happening in that moment. And my journey with him, particularly in trying to understand him more and really trying to come from a place of, oh my gosh, like that it, it makes me want to react. And I'm so very, I come from a place of, or like I come from a, a history of like millisecond reactions that I always have something to say. And so, you know, learning to basically relearn that and my son is saying something or like he hears something and his face changes. One of the things that I know that has worked for me is that curiosity approach. And one of the things that I'll tell him is that it really does matter how I say it because I almost feel like I have to be one step ahead in my approach. And it's almost like I already have to have this thought out of how I want this or hopefully would like 
like this situation to to be, which means that I need to approach it in a way that keeps it in line with that particular outcome, if that makes sense. I would ask him, I mean, this has happened a few times because now he's reacting to different things and I don't know why he's reacting. Like, where is this coming from? You know? And so I've learned to just ask him authentically, genuinely be interested, like, huh, I try also not to say why, because why can be very, why did you do that? It seems to be a very strong word. I've had to like ask the same question without using the word why. So sometimes I'll have to be like, oh, I saw that you reacted. What does that mean? You know, and there's been a lot of times actually where he's like, oh, I was making a face because he didn't realize it because he is now so used to reacting a certain way because now that's how he has associated that when he feels that way that this is the facial expression that I make you know so I vouch for sure for that I vouch for everything that Rowan says but I really feel from my own personal experience the curiosity approach is extremely extremely helpful and it can be even more successful for me once I learned how to ask it in a way that's non-threatening is kind of like the best way that I can say that is like if I think about it I'm like yes tone really matters and I know for sometimes I can say something in a tone and not mean it Mm-hmm, with a mm-hmm. tone, you know, which mm-hmm. is probably like my entire conversation with my husband for like years and years and years. <laughs> like he doesn't need to have a tone, but I've interpreted it as something completely different because I've learned that when that tone comes mm-hmm. out, I have programmed myself to understand a particular tone means this, yeah. right? The whole like tying meaning into everything, which, okay, may or may not be correct. And at the same time, here's the other part of that. I also get to decide if I see that tone for how I think it makes me feel, right? Because I, just because he says it that way, I also am learning to make room that maybe he doesn't know how to communicate it. Yes. (laughs) Because, hi, I know that I've said stuff in a tone that wasn't really the right way to or the most ideal way Mm -hmm. right or the most the less threatening way to kind of like get that response but yeah I know we can talk about that (laughs) yeah yeah that yeah so you were saying like why is a very it, it is a very volatile statement and I didn't realize it until how you said it and then a part of me was like but why can't I ask it that way <laughs> No, I totally get that. And so here's the thing, because I believe that everything, I'm really trying to see everything on a spectrum. There is the why that we get to control in the way that we deliver it. You know what I mean? Like if I am wanting to create space and a conversation where that creates some sort of neutralness so that we can have a conversation and not an attack, (laughs) so to speak. Then if I am aware of that, then I need to intentionally show up asking why in a way that will be warmly received, right? So that's me in my delivering. Yeah. However, if someone, you know, before I didn't know, I didn't care, you know, and so many of us are like that right before we are woke 
to like new things of like how to be better. There's a lot of tone policing, oh, right? Gosh, yes. And so it's like, okay, I can be mindful in the way I approach a subject, but I can also learn to understand that someone doesn't need to put it in a certain tone so that I can hear what they have to say. Yeah. Because their job is not to make me feel comfortable. And it is up to me, no matter how that tone comes out, I get to strip it of the tone and really just hear it for what is trying to be said. I feel like, of course, everything like could be better, but you know, and you don't do it all in one big jump. Like for me, this is years of practice and lots and lots and lots and continued failure. Oh, when I said it that way, they didn't like it because they made a face. (laughs) So it's just be, it's just being able to identify and just it's awareness, right? But I, I think I also want to make sure that our listeners are also hearing because sometimes when we're talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed because it feels like there's so much stuff you have to know to freaking exist on earth. You, there is so much you need to know to be a wife, like a successful wife, which I don't think there's, that's not even a, but it wants to be a thing, but there's no, it's not a thing. thing. It's not, it's (laughs) not a thing, but it feels like it is a thing, you know, but so, and I like, just, I want everybody to kind of like understand that all of this just takes time and you have to figure out where you want to start with that. Right. And that was actually another question. I know. Like I'm exhausted. My brain Uh, hurts. Like two weeks ago, right? Like, like early in the conversation, earlier in the conversation, I don't even know what we were talking about, but I was like, <laughs> like, forget this. I don't even want to do this anymore. It's too hard to just be alive. <laughs> oh, my. yeah. Well, okay. So just to make sure that we we've given our listeners a good first step, like the most simplest, because it is a lot of information and it, it's overwhelming. And then it brings shame and guilt and it brings all of this stuff. And then now you and don't want to do it too anymore. much and you can't eat. Like, it's like pinning boards on Pinterest all day long of like all this food <laughs> you're going to cook. And you're like, okay, time to go get takeout. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So I, Rowan, what, yeah. what does that look like? What is like a good step one for our listeners to begin that process of learning or relearning how to attune or relearning how to co-regulate with their child with really anybody I mean that's I guess that's really like how you would communicate anyway I'm gonna I'm gonna add on to that too what is the first step but what is the primary focus Mm -hmm. do you focus on learning to regulate yourself first so that you can properly regulate out or how do you make room for that I feel it it's probably depends on somebody's situation. There could probably be some people that need more of self-regulation before they can co-regulate. I, I think maybe having a, a visual, if you have a thermometer, like you're getting, does your child have fever? So you're trying to get the reading. First, you need to learn how to get your own internal temperature. So put it in your own kilikili, okay? Armpit, right? Because what we have been doing is that we are putting it in someone's kilikili and we're trying to get our own internal reading. So that's what's happening. So when we see faces, we're like, oh, you know, we think it's our own reading. So we haven't differentiated 
with our own internal temperature and our child's. And so I think it's a good first step to begin learning our emotional, our internal emotional compass by maybe just uncovering what emotions mean in our own family of origin. What does it mean to be sad? What does that look like? I think our right brain really feeds off stories and images and so it's too much of uh, for me even as a therapist too much too much work to be I like talk therapy but I also like other modalities because I think clients understand it our brains understand it our bodies know and we don't have to rely on simply spoken words to find our way through in life so that's the first step is Certainly begin with yourself. And it doesn't mean that you can't work simultaneously with your child because there's chaos everywhere. And you're like, hold on one second. I don't got this together yet. Just hold off. <laughs> okay. So we just have to be, it all has to be just part of the chaos and just slow down. I might have shared this before, but what Lynn was saying is like labeling. So if you're doing that for your child, do it for yourself first. Oh, I'm getting overwhelmed. And just slowing down, even slowing your steps, your, your breathing, you could just do that. I mean, it's not like, oh, I'm going to slow down my breathing. But while you're talking, slow down really your pace, like talk like a robot type of thing. And it's almost like you're narrating what's happening and what would happen. Another good way is like, even if you think you're like a mom that's just anxious, you can actually self-talk. I used to be anxious, even though it's just a second ago. That's fine. I used to be anxious now and then fill in the blanks, right? Now I can watch my own emotions and I could watch it kind of like almost like in a conveyor belt. You're watching your emotions just like, it's actually it's going move you're not stuck there and just being a witness to that emotion and just like what your other therapists have said i'm feeling odd like my body's feeling there's something weird that's happening and some people are not very particular like if you ask where in your body i don't know because <laughs> you know they don't know that's okay yeah that's okay you just kind of like it's like there's something odd happening i guess so that our listeners can have just a simple takeaway is to work on befriending emotions. So list down like maybe five to 10 things that your family of origin has taught you about emotions and the meanings, right? Around emotions. And then create a story. You know, it's like emotions rather than it's a heavy bag or a backpack. It could be actually wings. It's like emotions can take you places. When, when you're in touch with your emotion, it connects you with people, right? And when you see emotion as something, a burden, it's like a backpack that you're heavy, <laughs> carrying heavy on your back. And so just simply changing your vision can help you embrace that within yourself because it's really such an impossible feat to try to embrace that in your own child if you're feeling uncomfortable with being upset, overwhelmed, anxious. So we all feel at some point, we all feel anxious, we all feel overwhelmed. And the key is not that we don't feel that, but it's like we know how to be a witness to that. So like I said, an attuned mother is a excellent informant. Before we can become that mother, we are like our own, an informant on our own emotional compass, if you will. Oh, when I'm feeling this, or I'm showing, watch your face in the mirror when you're upset. What happens to you? We probably don't even know what happens, right? Do you get like, like your, your face moves? And actually in therapy, 
I see that. That's why I like face-to-face, but I could also see that in Zoom. You could see when people are getting um, agitated, I would stop and I'm like, ooh, I see your eyebrows kind of like raise up. What does that mean, you know? Tell me, help help me out, you know? It's like, and actually ask help from the other person. So you don't have to be an informant that you're knowing everything. It's actually you're learning. And especially teenagers, teenagers can, can give you the answer compared to toddlers. And so I like what Lynn was going there, like just being curious, using tender startups. Like, I think I got this wrong. Help me out. Putting them in a safe place to express because you may have the best message but if you have a megaphone on their ear it's like ouch i can't listen right so speak in tender words but we can do that when we know how to whisper tender words in our own ears first right that's good Yeah. yeah really good really good I love the curiosity of it. And I guess I'll share just a little tidbit on what's helped me in terms of how I'm applying the curiosity approach. Like, I don't even know if that's a word, Rowan, but... No, um, no, that's good. I, I want to, yeah, share, share with... So the curiosity approach, one of the things that I found myself going through when I started doing that... Okay. English is my only language. Why do I, why do I struggle so much? Because you're thinking. You're, you're oh, using oh my your gosh. brain at the same time. It's really hard. I'm not even going to say it again because that was like a one shot sort of thing. But what one of the things that I started to recognize in myself is that in learning to be curious, I didn't feel curious. So I knew that in order for me to reach my son, I had to do it in a way I would usually say is non-threatening, right? So non-threatening, what is non-threatening mean? It means it's safe, right? And so I would have to approach it in a way that would feel like that. And so, gosh, I'm trying to like not lose my train of thought because my brain is like, <laughs> stop, there's so much. There's so much in there. So then I, so one of the things that I would do is like, how can I authentically and genuinely approach things that my children do in a way that is non-reactive on my part, but kind of like encompasses it with genuine curiosity, which I mean, is also wrapped up in love, right? Because if you're genuinely curious about something, you're asking in a way that is, again, non-threatening, right? Like the threshold is like, there's no, there's no walls. The best way for me to think of how to approach that is to think, okay, what are some things that I personally like? And what did curiosity feel like on me when I approached those things? So like, for me, I love all day crafts, like anything creative. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that? I totally need to learn. I need to learn what pen you're using. I need to know like how you're converting like all of these colors and you know, oh, you can use like sans serif with serif or whatever, like what I'm talking about fonts. There is that part of me where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I really, really want to know, right? And so what is that? for you think about something that you're like oh my gosh like she just made this amazing dish how did she do it there's a genuine curiosity Hmm. I know how to be curious I just don't know how to be curious when it comes to like situations that can create irritation 
and annoyance mm-hmm. as my response. So I knew that I could be curious, but I had to remember what that feels like and what that looks like for me. So it's for me, think about it in terms of crafts. Oh my gosh, like I, I need to know all of the things, right? So in taking that and kind of having it in my toolbox so that when one of my kids does something, learning to access that toolbox is the practice. It's not like, oh, I have this in my toolbox. I'm going to use it every single time. It's not going to happen every single time. It's like when you buy something from the store and you're like, I have a really good use for that, you know, that new egg beater. But then I realize it's so much quicker to just crack eggs and beat it with a regular whisk. You know, like it's there, but am I accessing it? Not all the time. So grace is a huge part of that lesson for me where it's like, okay, I know that I have this tool, but I also have to remember to access it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So then when those moments arise, and I know that we were talking about this before, like, oh my gosh, there's so many things. Like, how do you remember all of them? You know, focus on one. Yeah. You can't like go in and all of a sudden be this overnight like tuned parents, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in one sleep. I mean, if you figure that out, let us know. Yeah, please let me know. Drop us a message. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, but, I mean, uh, yeah. well, no, I couldn't. Oh gosh. I would say what has helped me just even begin to reattune with my kids or relearning how to co-regulate with them. is just one, I would say is the, what my therapist just said, you know, do the opposite of what you've always done, because that means that you're not doing what you used to do and learn. She always says, it seems like you are, you've put all of your attention on your children. And I think it's time for you to put attention on yourself. And I'm just like, you say that so nicely. Like you need to like, sometimes just say it like in a mean way to me, but she says it so nicely. And I'm just like, yes, you're right. Yes. And really learning why I feel that way. And then listening to what I would have wanted within myself at their age. What did I want at that moment from my parents? Because then I think it's just one, reparenting myself and two, trying to just remember what it feels like to be 13, to be 17, just to be there and just to have all those big feelings or even be like four years old and mom. So I I got in trouble today because I said we were going to go feed the ducks and then I had a call for work. I was telling this to Rowan and then like everything just kept like snowballing backwards and now it's like three o'clock and I have to go pick up a kid and she has to go in for a a job interview and now Lucas is like you said we were gonna go to the park to feed the ducks and I was like I am so sorry I didn't mean to break my promise it's just this is what happened for it and he's like I'm mad and I'm like I'm I'm so sorry I was like I will make promises that I can't keep anymore and we're gonna try again tomorrow that that's all I have but I think that that works or that's a good start for me. That's a good start because that's not something I would have said before. I would have been like, well, yeah. life happens. Deal with it. Like, that's what I would just say. Oh, well, <laughs> I, I think, it's, I, you know, I have to be honest. I really think it's powerful that we share those real reactions because I know that we will connect through those because yeah. we all have them. We all have them. And they're so super powerful. I mean, and they're funny. You know, like when we when we think about it and when I hear somebody say it, I'm like, thank God I'm not the only one. Like it takes so much pressure off of my chest where I'm like, I am so glad that you say things like that because we don't know and we all don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be shamed for saying them. So anyways, I just wanted to say that that's why I love us because just say it. 
I think it's super powerful. And then I'm just going to take a quick second to affirm you that I think it's amazing that you did that for Lucas because it is real. And it shows him that, you know what, I have a mom who makes mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes. And this is what it looks like because that's what kids need to see. And I'm learning that as well. Like I'm learning to be okay making mistakes. Like, why is that so hard? Caden, actually, he said we were playing a game for one of his classes a while ago and he was learning how to add numbers and stuff like that. And so he had wrote seven because we're learning how to count to 10, you know, five and five makes 10 and doing all the things. And so one of them that he wrote was seven plus four equals 10, right? And then right under it, he wrote six plus four equals 10. And then right above that, he wrote seven plus three equals 10. (laughs) So as an adult, I'm kind of like, well, you wrote them both. They're both correct. And in the middle, I see the whole bolt here, like it's there, you know, we were going over it. And so I had him just do some things so that he could see where he went wrong. And part of his reactions was I made a mistake, you know, and that's something that sucks. It hurts. It hurts my heart. And I know that he's not alone. I know it doesn't make me feel good when I see him do that. It makes me feel like crap and all the mom guilt sets in and stuff, you know, then I have to get out of myself and I'm like, okay, but what can I do right now? I would say very parallel to you. It's okay. Mistakes are okay. I'm like showing him because that's not something that I was taught. And it's still something that I have to unpack and relearn and uncover every single day because by default, I am a perfectionist because it needs to be perfect. But anyway, so we started to get to a point where I was like, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. I was like, because Kate, I was like, I was like, because you made that mistake, now you know what Mm -hmm. the right answer is and kind of embracing that mistakes are good. And so, I mean, that's going to take time, obviously, but I wanted to just affirm you that being able to be a walking example, I think for you to also have the, the new kind of like outlook and mindset that you have now with your kids is proof that mistakes can be mended and they can be, they can be built upon and they can always be improved. So Thank you. I know I felt really terrible because I kept trying to get home. I kept trying to get home, but like, nope, I got to get this. Nope, I got to get this. And so, yeah, by the time I got back and he was just, he totally called me out. I'm like, I am, I am so sorry. I just want to affirm, I mean, you both, I mean, all of us, because each time we say that our brains are hurting, (laughs) it's because this is not the way we have been raised. Like I've been raised in a household where my bawal sumimangot, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you have to be grateful. Like, what's up with that face? <gasps> yes, right? you have and to be grateful. And so we're all actually, we're used to driving a certain way or a certain direction, but we're changing our routes and sometimes doing so does hurt your brain for a minute. But the more that we keep driving, it becomes, uh, that's the one that becomes familiar and automatic. And so there is a purpose for that and it does get easier. I also just want to say that while we are all trying to learn how to self-regulate that it's okay to ask children for space Uh, so 
we don't want to punish children by using space as punishment because then they see that the meaning of space is punishment. For instance, going to your room because then the room has an association with when you have done something wrong. But while we're trying to figure these things out, because I do this when I'm like overwhelmed, I respect my children. So I taught them to ask for space and I constantly ask for space. Just this morning, I was doing my face and I'm like, oh, I have like thinking about things that I need to do and then you know one of my twins came in the bathroom like honey just give me five minutes I need space please they do learn how to honor that uh, once we also learn how to honor their space so it's okay to ask space but be tender and and make space something inviting it's not like a punishment that I need space from you or that type of thing I mean you can also use that when you need space but space can also be a wonderful thing so it's a space a moving stepping backwards to actually move forward and to connect with each other that's all but i just want to affirm you both that i mean it's amazing i know you guys keep saying your brains are hurting but it's fantastic how you guys are such curious mothers and how you mary and like have been parenting differently before but how you're really trying to like writing down notes of your what your children are saying and stuff like that and then yeah lynn is incredibly thoughtful of like oh is it behavior feelings trying to research what I are know. going like spot? what are we researching what are we researching <laughs> my my brain is hurting just <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Filipino MomCast. Don't forget to subscribe and to share this podcast with others, whether it's through social media, a text, or a quick shh. Hey, have you listened to these ladies? It's a small step in getting the conversation started and rippling that change into existence, which you play a huge part of. Thanks so much. We'll catch you on the next episode.